Amen. Thanks. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. That's going to be our passage all through Advent. We said at the beginning of the service as the Advent candle was lit, this is the second Sunday of Advent. It is known in many traditions as the Bethlehem candle, but it is also known in other traditions as the peace candle or the safety candle or the security candle. And of course, it makes sense with what we sang during our worship set, O little town of Bethlehem, the next line, how still we see the lie. The blessing of Messiah coming into the world begins to restore shalom, stillness, peace, wholeness. And so our theme this morning is because Christ has come, we can rest in security. Now that is a really important thesis to be able to affirm. Because if there's anything that we can say about the world we live in, is that it seems very insecure. It seems very unsafe. I mean, if you've been watching the news over the past week, these ridiculous smash-and-grab robberies with people right there on the sidewalk, families with young children right there, and these thugs with sledgehammers that, by the way, they've smashed and grabbed from Home Depot the same way, start smashing these jewelry stores and stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gems. It's an unsafe world. School shootings. Terrorism. Health concerns. It just seems to be such an unsafe world. And in the midst of all of the insecurity, what bubbles up inside of every one of us is this longing for someone to step up and protect us. Oh, what a surfacey level, although in no way minimizing their importance, we, we think about the police. But what we really long for is someone even more powerful than that. It might even be because of the lack of safety that many of us see in this world that super, superhero movies have become so popular. I mean, it seems like every three or four months, there's a new superhero movie coming out. They started with Superman, and then Batman, and then Iron Man, and then Wonder Woman, and then Black Panther, and, and there's just superheroes all over the place. And could it be that one of the reasons we love superhero movies, as we leave the theater or turn off the television, maybe at least for a moment there's this thought, wouldn't it be great if life could be like that? One of the other superheroes that many of us have seen 
is Spider-Man. And I'm going to show a clip from Spider-Man 2 this morning, and let me tell you why. When it comes to Isaiah 9, verse 6, and we look at the four titles of Messiah, the title we're looking at this morning in the Hebrew is El Gabor. El, of course, meaning God, like Elohim. But Gabor means literally hero. So El Gabor is the heroic God. In Spider-Man 2, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, has been fighting crime for about two years, and he's had enough of it. His grades are suffering. The girl he loves, because he's always out fighting crime, has given up on him and is engaged to another man. On top of that, the Daily Bugles convinced the city that Spider-Man's a criminal and not a hero. So he decides, I've had enough of this. I give up. I quit. We pick up the action in this scene where Peter Parker is stopping by his Aunt May's house. Aunt May and Uncle Ben raised Peter Parker. Uncle Ben, if you know the story, has died in some ways at the fault of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And she's packing up her belongings to move to a new place, and there's this young boy named Henry that's helping her pack the boxes. And as they get in a conversation, Peter learns that young Henry, of course not knowing that Peter is Spider-Man, really loves Spider-Man. And he's confused because the world seems so unsafe and is, and is in chaos, and Spider-Man's nowhere to be found. Watch. We all need a hero. Could, could it be that one of the reasons why superhero stories are so popular is because deep down in our souls, God has placed within us a desire for a hero that will deliver us and rescue us and protect us and enable us to live in security. And how terrible it would be if we get on our knees and pray to God and God sort of speak to us and say, Jesus just quit. He just wanted to try something else. We need never fear that happening. Jesus is our mighty God. Literally, our heroic God. The God who is our hero. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along as I read Isaiah 9, 1 through 6. This is God's word. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious by the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Heroic God, the God who is a hero, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know that we deeply desire a hero to rescue us, deliver us, protect us, and help us dwell secure. Jesus is that heroic God. Let's pray. Father, show us the beauty of our Savior Jesus this morning. And seeing him, might we be filled with faith and dwell securely. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So John Calvin, uh, the reformer, commenting on this name given to Jesus, said this, The title, Mighty God, means that we can live with a sense of safety. So this morning, we're going to look at three elements of the world in which we can face and dwell securely because of our mighty God, our heroic Christ. First of all, live securely in a weary world. Look at verse 4. The yoke of his burden he has broken as on the day of Midian. In Scripture, a yoke often symbolizes something that is oppressive. Something that is restrictive. Something that causes us to become weary under a heavy load. And we learn in this text that Jesus is the heroic God that smashes the yokes that enslave us. What do you feel enslaved by this Christmas? What do you feel restricted by? On the one hand, we can feel restricted by the brokenness of life, the pain, the sorrow that presses upon us everywhere we turn and affects every other situation of our lives. It's like no matter where we go, there's this yoke around our necks and it's heavy and we get weary. Another yoke that is mentioned in Scripture is the yoke of living under the law. Now listen, the commandments of God are beautiful. But to live under the paradigm that God is going to love you or bless you or accept you, 
based on your performance of God's commands, that gets very oppressive very quickly. And Jesus came to smash that yoke as well. But then there's just the yoke of sadness or grief or loss. And Jesus wants to come even in our current circumstances and take the burden from us and put it on himself. Notice it says that the child born breaks the oppressive yoke. Look what it says in verse 4. As on the day of Midian. We talked about this last week if you were here. The, the day of Midian was when the judge Gideon went up against the Midianites who had 132,000 men. And Israel began with 32,000 men. And God, in order to make sure that Israel didn't trust in her own strength but rested in the power of God, dwindled the 32,000 Israelite troops down to 300. And once they were that desperate, then they were safe to go into battle. Well, God raises up people like Gideon in the Old Testament to prefigure Christ. As a matter of fact, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is always telling stories to their children and their children's children and to each other at family gatherings about heroes, about champions. Again, the Hebrew word is gibor. It means champion or hero. And the whole book of Judges is about how God's people got themselves in trouble and God raised up heroes, gibors, to deliver them from the oppressive yoke of bondage under which they were becoming weary and exhausted and tired. Gideon was a gabor, a champion, a hero. Samson was a gabor, a champion, a hero. Deborah was the Wonder Woman of the Old Testament. She was a gabor, a hero, a champion. And all of these people God raised up to relieve the burden of his people. But none of those people were the real hero of the story. All of those people only very slightly reflected the heroic God to come, the child born, the son given. He is the heroic God that smashes the yoke. And then what he does is he says, now that I've smashed the yoke of performance, now that I've smashed the yoke of being enslaved to sin, now that I've smashed the yoke of all the grief and the loss, and even if you experience it here, like the clip said, he teaches us to hang on just a second longer because deliverance is coming. And he says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. 
See, the beautiful thing about a yoke, you know, they, they used to yoke oxen together. And what they would do is they would put a, a mature, strong, experienced, plowing ox on the one side of the yoke. And then they would put a young, weaker, less experienced ox in the other side of the double yoke. And the strong ox did most of the work. But the younger ox was being brought along and was growing and learning. And that's what Jesus, our heroic God, does. He takes on all the heavy lifting. And yet yoked with him, we also grow into Christ-likeness. So this Christmas, what's wearing you out? What is wearying you? What is exhausting you? Could I submit to you that one of the reasons why we are weary in this world is because we misunderstand our stories? Some of us are weary this Christmas because somehow we've actually begun to think that we're supposed to be the hero of our story. We are never, ever called to be the hero of the story. One of the things that we are so careful about here at Oak Mountain when it comes to children's ministry is to never, ever allow our children to be taught by folks who will give them the impression that the point of Bible stories is that young children are to grow up thinking that they're to grow up to be the heroes of their stories. No, they are not. There is only one hero of anybody's story, and his name is Jesus. And if we put our hope in anyone other than our El Gabor, our heroic God, then we are headed for weariness, burnout, and exhaustion. This happened to Elijah, a, a man as godly as Elijah. In, in 1 Kings 18, he's on Mount Carmel against all of the, the, uh, the prophets of Baal. And, and he calls down fire from God, and God consumes the sacrifice and the altar. And all the people bow down and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This incredible victory at the hands of Elijah. But what so often happens to all of us is he began to think that he was the hero. And when is the severe depression? He's exhausted. He can't, he can't keep it up. And he says, God, all the prophets are gone. I'm the only one left. And they're seeking to kill me. And he says, just take me. What happened? Elijah lost the point of the story. He began to think that he was supposed to be the hero. And he got so weary and exhausted, he became despondent and depressed and even suicidal. And God had to reorient him to the story. And this Christmas, some of us need to be reoriented. Because we've fallen into the trap of thinking that we're supposed to be the hero of the story. 
that we're supposed to work everything out, that we're supposed to make everything happen, and that's why you're exhausted. Open your life afresh to the heroic God, the child, the son given. Think of the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder, it's coming, yonder, that's a real southern thing, you know. It must have been a southerner wrote that Christmas carol. Don yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I would submit to you that one of the only things you need in your life today to experience the breaking of a new and glorious morn is to recognize you've never been called to be the hero of your own story. Jesus is. Trust him. Live securely in a weary world. Secondly, live securely in a hostile world. Look at verse 5. Every boot of tramping warrior. This, this picture is of these hostile enemies, the, the heroes and champions of other countries, trouncing out toward Israel, mocking her, threatening her with injury or death or loss of property. I mean, the first real story after Judges about Gabors, about heroes, about champions, is David and Goliath. See, that's the way they settled things back then. A lot of times, they, the kings were sort of logical. Why lose all these men? Why, why have all these casualties? Pick your champion. Pick your hero. Pick your Gabor. And so the Philistines picked Goliath. What? Eight feet tall? And he went out every day in his tramping boots. And he mocked Israel. And he mocked Israel's God. And Israel just stood there shaking in their boots because they thought they needed to be the hero. But not David. David realized, who is this Philistine compared to our God? See, David understood the story. <laughs> David's like, I don't need to be a hero. I've got a heroic God. Who is this guy mocking God? And he goes out with five small stones. And God, the heroic God, defeats the hostile enemy. Every boot of the tramping warrior will be burned as fuel. God gives us a vision where there's no more fighting. There's no more hostility. There's no weapon formed against us that isn't thrown on a fire that when we're cold actually warms us up and brings us comfort. God delights in sending Christ to be your hero in the midst of all the hostilities of this world that you're facing. Where are you facing hostility right now? In your family? With your children? In your marriage? At work? the world, with the media, in politics? Where, where are you feeling hostility and the threat of hostile powers? 
Will you rest into Christ as your hero? There are several places in Scripture where the same word, El Gabor, mighty God, is used. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. The Lord your God is your mighty God, the El Gabor, your heroic God. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner and gives him food and clothing. Are there, are there any people you can think of that are more vulnerable to hostility than an orphan, the fatherless, a widow, especially in those early days of culture, of an alien, a refugee, Yet God delights in being the hero to deliver us from hostility. In Exodus 15, we read that God is a man of war, that God delights in sending Christ to fight for us. In Exodus 14, we read that the Lord will fight for you, just like he fought for Israel. Just like the hostilities of Pharaoh and the hostilities of Pharaoh's army were pursuing Israel. God said, stand still. See, again, that's part of our problem. We don't like standing still. Why? Because deep down we really believe that we're supposed to be the hero of our own stories. And you'll never have confidence in the midst of hostility, when you think it's all up to you. Jeremiah 20, verses 10 and 11, I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Can I just tell you I hear that in the church today? I hear it all the time from Christians. I've never seen the church in so much panic in America. Terror on every side. And God says, Where's your faith? You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And he will come to your aid. I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Jeremiah 20, 10, 11 goes on. But the Lord is with me as a dreaded warrior, El Gabor, as the heroic God. No matter where you go, no matter what you face, Jesus is with you. Notice that God is with me. Remember what Emmanuel means? God with us. The Jesus who is with you is a dreaded warrior. He is the champion that goes out and fights against anything and anyone Satan would throw at us. As we face hostility, Jesus delights in being our hero. And let me tell you, the world is hostile. Pew Research just released some data that Christians endure more hostility in the world than any other group. Out of 195 countries in the world, Christians experience hostility in 153 of them. The hostility that Christians are facing are freedoms taken away, normal opportunities for employment or education removed or limited. Christians face more detention from police, imprisonments, abuse, and torture, and death. 
than any other group. Christians have more properties destroyed, more marriages denied, more churches torched, face more surveillance and more betrayal than any other group in the world. It is a hostile world. And guess what? It's coming here. And I'm just surprised that Christians in America are surprised. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, if they hated me, they will hate you. And I think what the rest of the world's Christians are experiencing is finally coming to America. And I'm not sure the American church is ready. I fear that more Christian parents are raising their kids to be successful than they are raising their kids to expect to be hated. But if you raise your kids to expect to be hated because they're Christians and you teach them that they're not the hero of their own stories, then they will have, by God's grace, an unshakable trust in their El Gabor, their heroic God. And they will be ready to face the hostility of the world. And one day, when Christ returns, all hostility will be gone and the peace and safety and security of the new Jerusalem will finally be our home but until that time men and women of God do not be surprised that the world hates you expect it and rest in Christ Live securely in a weary world, live securely in a hostile world, and then lastly, live securely in a dark world. Look at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for who, her who was in anguish. You ever notice that in all those superhero movies, it's always dark? Like Gotham City and Batman, right? It's always dark. The, the, it's always grayscale. It, you can hardly even tell it's in color half the time. Well, that's because where evil is at work. It's a dark world. And we live in a dark world. But what's interesting about verses 1 and 2, where it says in verse 2, Then the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Remember the context here. The darkness was God's people's own fault. It wasn't even hostile enemies out there. It was Israel refusing to trust God. It was Israel living in unbelief. It was Israel giving in to her fears. It was Israel thinking that she needed to be the hero of her own story. And rather than trusting God to deliver her, she made an alliance with this empire that was moving westward called Assyria, which is now Iran and Iraq. And it was attacking all the nations west and gobbling them up. And Israel, having been told by God to trust God as their El Gabor, their heroic God, instead they made alliances 
trusting in themselves. And so they were in darkness because of their own foolishness. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I ever deal more with insecurity than when I know I've created my own darkness and it's my own fault. Because what I tend to think is I got myself into this and I've got to get myself out of it. And so right away, I've lost the storyline again. Right away, it's Bob has to be the hero of his own story because it was Bob who created the darkness that he is now in to begin with. But that's not the way El Gabor works. El Gabor, the heroic God, is a God of grace. And to Israel, who created her own darkness, God says there will be no gloom for her who brought on her own gloom. The people who walked in darkness that they have in fact created have seen a great light. That those who dwell in the darkness that they caused, on them light has shone. See, grace appends all this karma foolishness and says, yeah, you caused the darkness, but God in his grace will still be your hero. No other hero can, can deliver us and no other heroes like this. You know, all the heroes that we even read about and and see on the big screen, they're nothing like God. Batman is just a rich dude that can afford a lot of toys. Think about it. He's really not even a superhero. He's a rich dude that really knows how to use tools. Spider-Man is a human. His DNA changed a little bit because he got bit by a spider, but he's still a man. Wonder Woman is not eternal. She may be from another planet, but she just has come to earth. And you go on and on and on. None of the superheroes are really superheroes. But Jesus is one who came from eternity. And he entered the darkness. And he fought the devil. And he triumphed over sin. And he even conquered death. You see, Satan thought that the cross was Jesus' kryptonite. And three days later, Jesus put an end to that erroneous thought. Jesus is everything to us. And here's the kicker. He wants to be everything for you. All he's saying at a foundational level is, are you willing to give up trying to be the hero of your own story? And are you willing to give up trying to be the hero of other people's stories? In other words, are you willing to stop living like you're the Savior and begin to trust Jesus as the only Savior? I love, again, the beautiful carol, O Holy Night, 
for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Let's pray. Jesus, forgive us for how we have failed to see you as our heroic God, that you actually delight in swooping in, scooping us up, and delivering us from evil. God, forgive us for how we have tried to be the hero of our own stories or the hero of other people's stories. And God, may we point people to Jesus and we would, may we continually run to him. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that really doesn't know Jesus, they're, they're, they're really trying to, to be good enough to be accepted by Jesus. God, would today be the day of their salvation. God, we do pray, show us your power and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction. See, there's someone who's sad that I stopped. That, that's what's going on there, see? And, and now dad had to take him out and explain, it's okay, Bob will preach again next week. <laughs> Receive the benediction. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.